this time of year is pretty amazing. Lights and parties and travel and friends and family and bright, happy music everywhere that you go. This time of year is amazing. If any of you come up Mapleton during the evening time on Mapleton Avenue, you will find a gingerbread house. It is the coolest light display I've ever seen. Giant house that looks like a gingerbread house. So if you can take the time, do a drive-by. That sounds wrong. But do, do drive by it and look at it because it is a wonderful, wonderful home. But this, year isn't all, this time of year isn't always positively amazing, right? Oftentimes, unless you are born in a Hallmark movie, things go wrong. There are extra dem demands on our time, on our resources, on our emotions. Some of us prefer to spend time with family, some of us cannot spend time with family because it's not safe. Some of us spend extra sessions in therapy this time of year because the stress builds. Some of us eat and eat or drink and drink in an attempt to bury the pain that we feel. But whatever our personal histories are with this season, we all have some favorite memories that come with Christmas. Snowmen or snowball fights, snickerdoodle cookies left out on the air conditioning vent that would blow hot air to keep them warm. School breaks, yes! No homework, no tests, no finals, no assignments due. Family time. Socks that mysteriously gain an orange in their toes. Did anybody else get oranges in their socks? We got, yeah, oranges in the stockings. Uh, some, for some of us, the memories include feeding the homeless or making care packages to send to soldiers abroad. I want to share with you just a couple of my favorite memories. When I was a child, we spent time in Europe. My dad was in the military, in the army, and so we were stationed abroad. And we would go, we lived in a little town in northern Italy called Sandra, and we would go from Sandra over to Verona of Romeo and Juliet fame. All right, and we would go there for the Christmas bazaar, and we would head to the piazza there in, uh, in Verona, and we would go to the arena. And there was always outside the arena, this big coliseum, there was a Christmas market. And they would have everything from fried potatoes to fried dough of various sorts to every kind of handicraft you could imagine. My favorite part of the outdoor festivities was the roasted chestnuts. Giant 50-gallon drum and like a, a walk, basically, a walk on top of the 50-gallon drum and a, a man just uh, shaking, shaking those chestnuts and you could hear them pop and crackle and fizz and then you'd get a bag of them, a brown paper bag of them that started to get greasy from the oil and you'd crack open those chestnuts and you'd throw the chestnut shell on the ground and eat the delicious roasted chestnut on the inside. And there at the, at the uh, piazza, there was uh, something that you would see over the booths. And you could just see it, I was a little kid at the time, but you could just see it over the booths if you looked carefully. And it looked like a big white beam, like almost like a white rainbow. 
which sometimes they get in the Arctic, these white arches that look like rainbows. And so you could see it over the top of the, of the market booths, and you would head that direction, and as you got closer, you would discover that it was a representation of the star that the wise men followed from Bethlehem. And as you got into the base of the arena, into this Colosseum, there was a, a hallway that went all the way around the, out, the outer ring. And in that hallway is my favorite Christmas memory. Every Christmas, they set up a display of nativities or creches, right? Representations of the birth of Jesus. And they were made from everything. They were absolutely fantastic. They were carved out of wood and had sort of a, a Polish iconography to them. Or you would find some that represented the continent of Africa and were there with different sorts of people than maybe I had grown up with in my home. They had very interesting ones that represented Jesus being born in the Arctic which was a new thing for me, but I suppose, you know, in places where it snows regularly at Christmas, it makes sense. And there were, of course, modern representations of the birth of Jesus. And we would spend hours walking through that hall, looking at tiny little pieces and giant life-size carvings of this story that changed the world. To this day... I break for nativity scenes. There are full-time Christmas stores around this country. I visit them and look for little nativities. Goodwill has had a recent visit from me. There are nativities everywhere. This is a powerful, powerful story. And today we're going to dig into it a little bit more because this is the birth of Jesus, the one who changes everything. Will you pray with me? God, whatever memories we carry with us, whatever bit of nostalgia or whatever pain we carry with us this time of year, we ask, Lord, that you and your greatness will come here. And in the unwrapping, the unveiling of the prophecy of the baby who would come, we ask that you reveal yourself to us once again. May we have the courage to let you be birthed in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to Luke chapter 2. As we know, we've been following the story. The angels have appeared. There have been different prophecies. Mary has become pregnant by the overshadowing of the Spirit. Elizabeth is pregnant after an announcement to Zechariah. There are things moving. 400 years of silence have been ended by prophecy, by presentation, and by prediction. And we have here the culmination of all of this sudden activity, this flurry of activity that has happened here in Luke. And we arrive back at this part where Mary and Joseph have to begin traveling. Now, um, I went on a number of road trips and I have traveled enormously with my family. And uh, never once have, have we been on a road trip riding a donkey while my mom was very pregnant. So if you will imagine 
that Mary and Joseph have been told that they have to go and be counted, but they have to go back to their home county, the place of their heritage. For me, well, we're all mutts here, aren't we? Right? It'd be really hard. I found out this year that I am part African-American, and I'm very excited about that. I am 3% Nigerian. So when the guy sends me the email that says I have $3.2 million and I'm a Nigerian prince, I think we're related. <laughs> yeah. So, so that is part of my history. So I don't know where I would go back to if I was to be called back to a place because I don't really have a place, as, as I think is probably common for us here. But Joseph had a place he had a place where his family came from, and he had moved north up to Nazareth and was working there and had established a life there. We don't know if it was him or his grandpa or his great-great-great-grandpa that moved, but his origins were in Bethlehem. So he had to go back to Bethlehem to be counted for this census that was required. And because a betrothal in the Jewish world was a, a legally binding contract, his his soon-to-be wife, his betrothed, went with him because she would have had to be counted with him. So she traveled along. It would have been an interesting journey. They would have loaded up the donkey with everything they needed. And when I say that, I don't mean two Louis Vuitton handbags full of heels and cute outfits. Right? This is the water they will need for the journey, the food they will need for the journey, the changes of clothing they will need for the journey, and anything they may need in case the baby arrives while they're gone. And they begin the walk to Bethlehem. Now it says in scripture, if you'll look with me in verse four, oh, yes, verse four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, which we know is in the north, uh, from the town of Nazareth, again, in the north, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. He went up from Galilee. Have you guys ever looked at a map of the area, right? Galilee's here, and Bethlehem's here? It doesn't make sense. Why would he go up? Right? Your north is this way. North is up on a map as you're looking at the linear movements. So why would he go up? Well, you would have gone up and down and up and down and up and down, right? But it's as though he lived in a very short version of Colorado. And he went up into the hills, okay? So when it says he went up, it doesn't mean that he went north. Instead, it means that they had to climb. So they increase in elevation about 1,400 feet. Okay, so not an enormous amount, but if you're riding on a donkey, you're not getting good night's sleep because you're sleeping on the ground, and you're heavily pregnant, it's going to be a tough journey. But they go up from Galilee, and they go up to, Jeru to Bethlehem, so they'll pass past Jerusalem, because Bethlehem is an additional 10 miles beyond. So they have 77, 78 miles to travel as they head on this journey. So imagine, foot-powered, heavily pregnant, carrying all the supplies you would need for a census visit. It's a slow journey. It's not going to be fast. It's going to take time. And time probably would have been really good. 
While they were betrothed, my guess is that Mary and Joseph didn't know each other really well. And there is nothing like traveling to get to know someone. You get to know them really well. When I was in college, I went on a camping trip with some of my friends to the Redwoods in Northern California. Beautiful. We were all in one tent, 10 of us. It divided into two. We put the girls on one side and the guys on the other side. And we were sleeping and one of our friends got out to go on a midnight journey to the bathroom. And he headed out and um, we hear noise outside the tent. And we're like, all right, George, get back in the tent. Come on, this isn't funny. And he's like, we, he, there was no response. And there's more noise outside the tent and scratching and all sorts of thumping. George, just get in the tent. We're all trying to sleep. Come on, we want to go to bed. And then a flashlight comes up across the tent. And we hear this voice. This isn't George. Uh, this is the ranger, and you guys are being too loud. You're going to have to take it down or leave. Right? <laughs> um, we all learned that all of us are night owls, but people who go camping generally are not. They like to go to bed when it gets dark. So we had some learning to do. And so Mary and Joseph got to learn about each other on this journey towards Bethlehem. And while they, when they get there, they arrive. Of course, we know that there's no proper housing for them. I'm guessing that Joseph left Mary probably in a, a main square, a market area, and went to go find a place because she was exhausted. He goes and finds a place where they can at least shelter and he takes her there, and it is there that she births Jesus. If you'll look with me in verse 7, there's an interesting continuation to the story. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. We have heard the lead up to the birth of Jesus, and here we see a little foreshadow that the story of Jesus will continue beyond his birth into something that will shape the salvation of humanity, right? There were two times in life when you were wrapped in linen cloth. One, when you were born, and secondly, when you died. And here we see a little foreshadow that Jesus is already wrapped in these cloths and he is laid in a stone bed. Which is a, just a precursor to what will come in his life. And we know that this birth is significant. We know it was prophesied this is beyond normal births. Jesus was different. And because it was so different, when he arrived, heaven could not contain its excitement. Because when the thing that offers hope to every living soul arrives, you gotta do something about it. And so emissaries come from heaven and arrive and show themselves to an awkward group. A group of men and women who would have been caring for animals in the middle of a dark, dark night on hills far from people. Read with me in verse 9. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was an angel, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You see, Jesus' birth changed everything. And heaven couldn't wait to share the news that Jesus was here. Now it's great that the angels, while doing their job from heaven, meet up with the shepherds who are doing their job on earth. But if the shepherds had just stayed in the field, they would have missed out on the greatest thing heaven offered. It doesn't matter that they met the angels if they were not willing to follow up on the message the angels delivered. We have to follow through like the shepherds. We must pursue Jesus. We must see him with our own eyes. It is not enough that my mother has seen Jesus or my father has seen Jesus or my pastor has seen Jesus or my professor or someone else that they've experienced him, that they know him. I must meet him for me because Jesus changed the story and if I don't meet the story changer, my story becomes hollow and void. It becomes meaningless and purposeless because I can never know who I am built to be if I do not meet my builder. And so the shepherds wisely listen to the message and then follow through. Not only is Jesus born, is a savior here, is Bethlehem fulfilled in its promise? In Micah 5, there's a promise to Bethlehem, right? There's a promise that says to them, you, Bethlehem, Epaphra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The fulfillment to Bethlehem, that the Messiah would be born there is coming true, and the shepherds get to witness it. The truth is Jesus can be born again in us today. It is not a virgin birth. It is not one prophesied by angels. It is not one that is preceded by John. But it is one that takes up residence in our hearts if we allow it to happen. And what joy comes when we see Jesus. Verse 16 of Luke chapter 2 records the shepherd's reaction. They went with haste. This is like when mom says, dinner's ready. The thumping on the stairs, right? There's running, I'm coming, I want the food, I'm ready. The Savior is here, I'm coming, I'm moving, I'm hustling because I want to see the proof of God with my own eyes. 
They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard that wondered at what the shepherds told them. They didn't just believe the angels. They went to see it for themselves. In 1970 at Stanford University, an experiment was carried out on children. And while I'm all for experimenting with children, um, this one seems slightly cruel. They offered them marshmallows one at a time, right? Some of you have heard of the marshmallow experiment. You can watch some hilarious videos about children trying to demonstrate self-restraint on the YouTubes. Go check them out. But look up the marshmallow experiment. In 1970, this experiment was, we're going to set a child at a table, and we are going to give them one marshmallow. Luckily for the children, they seem to have given them the big marshmallows, right? And they sat it in front of the child, and they said, if you wait for this marshmallow, we'll give you two. You can eat it now if you want to, but then that's it. You don't get another one. Okay, so we're going to give you 15 minutes, we're going to set you in this room, we'll be right back, but if you don't eat this marshmallow, we have another one for you, and you get two marshmallows. Oh, that sounds tempting. They would close the door and leave a child alone in a room with a two-way mirror so they could watch what would happen. Now, they say as a result of this research, that the kids who waited for the bigger reward tended to have better life outcomes. They tracked these children. That means that they had higher test scores. They seemed to excel in the careers that they went into. They had healthier BMIs or body mass indexes and other things that they could measure. So if you could wait to eat the marshmallow, you were more likely to be successful in life. Now this, this experience, the experiment has been redone and with a wider group of children, not just children who were at the preschool at Stanford University. Hmm. Mm hmm You see how this might shift the outcome a little bit? Okay. So uh, they redid this experiment a number of times, and they discovered that the children who, who waited tended to come from a higher socioeconomic and educational uh, background. Their parents tended to have more affluence, and they tended to be more educated, right? And the kids who were like, I need that marshmallow right now, they tended to be from poorer families who maybe didn't know when the next meal was coming or if anything nice was going to show up in their life again, right? So I'd better take it now because it might be all that I get, Right? Truth be told, when we look at this experiment, we can compare this to what God does for us. He's playing the long game. Right? He's saying, I can give you one marshmallow, or if you hold on, you'll get two. Except he's saying, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll come now and experience bits of Jesus as we go along in the story, listen to the prophecies, understand what the angels are saying, listen to the promise of what will come as you choose to follow God and live life with him. Look at this scope that is coming. It is a large scope. Or... You can hear something and say, yeah, that sounds good. All right, I'm in. 
and five minutes later, it's gone. Some of us have grown up with, with emptiness, with nothing, not knowing if what we have now will be there tomorrow. The beauty of the promise of God is that if he made the promise, it does not disappear. And in the waiting, we can dig deeper and deeper and deeper into the understanding of God. I want to do a little experiment here this morning. I've asked my friend Braden to come and help me, and he's going to bring his mama with him because sometimes we need a little assistance. A presence can be scary. You may have noticed that we have a present on the stage. This was not wrapped at any local department store. This was wrapped by yours truly, which is why it looks the way it does. But I have asked Braden, hey, buddy, how are you? High five. So I'm going to ask you to come over here. Brayden, do you think you can open this box for us? All right, it's all yours. Okay, what do you guys think? 20 seconds? Maybe? Go for it. Yes. Excellent. So at, at our household, it was always the race to see who could get it open first. Yeah? Brayden, you are nailing it. This is really good. Raw. Oh, fantastic. Okay. All right. You want to get the rest of it open? Are you just going to? It's not just the box. There's something inside the box. Should we see what's in there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. He's got it. It's coming. Brayden, when you get it open, can you tell me what's in there? Yep, yep. Tissue paper. Excellent. He's finding all the good things. What, what was that? Bubbles. There's bubbles in there and lots of tissue paper. I didn't want it to rattle around. All right, so when we, when we find something and it's pretty easy to access, we can, we can just, it's like bubbles. You could take it out, you could blow it, and it's gone in a second. And if you have children, the bubble container often gets knocked over and it's gone in half a second, right? It doesn't last very long. Are you gonna blow us a bubble? I think we might get a bubble. Good demonstration. All right, so, so this is, kind of, this is kind of the idea that if we hear about the story of Jesus and we get to see it and experience it, but we don't take time to process it, we don't take time to think about it, we don't take time to appreciate it and wrestle with it, it's there and it's gone in a second like a bubble. It means that our faith doesn't have anchor. It's floating. It's not adhered to anything. It doesn't have weight and structure Oh, and um, the aluminum foil is stiff. Yay for moms. Thank you, Brittany. I should have opened it up ahead of time. All right, so we're going to get some bubbles. Um, Brayden, do you think the bubbles are going to be fantastic? Uh-huh, uh-huh. All right, let's see a few of them. <laughs> do you know the little wand? It's stuck down in the bottom. Oh, your mom got it. Okay. Yes! So um, if you see bubbles, you'll know where Brayden is. Yes, good job. That's fantastic. So we're going to do another experiment. Now this one isn't, doesn't look as nice. It's not quite as fancy. Um, you can buy 80 square feet of saran wrap for a dollar. So Brayden, I have another present for you. Would you like to try and open this one? 
perfect. Okay, so we're going to see. So this one, as, as, as we're talking, it's like the layers of the story that we encounter in Scripture. It's the prophecies. It's the promises. It's the angels appearing. It's the women giving birth. It's Zechariah being mute. It's these long tales that have come through human history from God to us that help to reveal the story of God. It's the depth of the story. It's digging in. You will notice that he is getting to some parts and pieces of the story. Oh, man. He's going to be here for days. This is good. I like Brayden. We'll get to know each other really well. Yeah, go for it. Something's coming up. It takes time to think it through, to wrestle with it, and to see what shows up in the story of God. And it is in the wrestling with it that it becomes significant when we find things. What's that? What is that? An angel. Yeah, part of the story shows up. All right, keep going. Oh, you're doing so good, buddy. Whoa, what's that? This is another piece. This one's not as interesting. (laughs) But this is a swaddling blanket, right? Little piece of the story. Okay, oh, what's that? A candy cane, like a shepherd's crook coming out. Here, you want me to hold it for you? All right, I got it, thanks, buddy. Okay. Whoa, gold, gold, lots of gold. All right, perfect. Oh, he's doing really good at this. Brayden, I think you should unwrap all of the presents. Yeah, okay. Oh, a bell. Okay, now this is where I took artistic license. Um, I imagine that some of the animals were wearing bells. Anybody else imagine that the lambs had little bells on them? That's what I imagine. All right, artistic license for the story of Jesus' birth. Oh, nice. What is that one? A star. Yeah. Whoa. He's he's getting there. Coins. Okay, I'm going to catch them in case they fall. Okay. Whoa. You will note that they are plastic coins. Lots of gold, right? What's there in the very middle, Brayden? What is that in your hand? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is at the very heart of this story, right? There's gold and there's angels and there's stars, but wrapped up in the very middle of it is Jesus. And when we take time to process through the story, we get to Jesus. Good. Yeah. Oh, no. Did it break? I'm sorry. You know what it means? It means it's easier to eat now. Yeah. All right. Do you want to leave them here until after church, and then you can come pick them up, or do you want to take them back to your seat with you? Okay. It's all you. Thank you. Can we give Brayden and Brittany a hand? Good job, you guys. Well done. It takes a minute to unwrap the story of Jesus. But when we do, at the very center of it is the one who loves us and would do anything to save us. And it is a beautiful thing when we meet Jesus. Because there in the middle 
of it all is Jesus. We have the option to dig into and get to know this Jesus for ourselves. He can be like a bright, shiny package with but a bubble inside if we so choose. But when we let him access every layer of our life, the depth of his mercy, the depth of his grace, the power of heaven will become evident to us. Because we will see Jesus for ourselves. I've heard it said that God does not have grandchildren. I do not inherit my faith from someone else. My faith comes from my encounter with Jesus. There's a story that came out last week in the news, and I'm going to cry. There's a gentleman who is a Packers fan, yes, uh, from Prairie du Sac, Wisconsin. I think it's obligatory if you live in Wisconsin, you have to be a Packers fan. Also, they're the best team, so. Um, <laughs> His name, his name is Gene Whitenhiller, and this year Gene was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. It is a terminal diagnosis. He has spent 40 Christmases with his beloved wife, and this will be his last. His son, Ross, sent out a plea to people uh, through the wonders of social media, saying, would you help to make this last Christmas of my father merry and bright? He puts it in these words, sometimes you help out a complete stranger just because they ask. So after this plea was sent out on social media, Gene and his family expected a couple hundred cards some well wishes, and that would be that. Their tiny post office there in Prairie du Sac has been overwhelmed. Over 50,000 cards and letters arrived last week alone from all over the world, the United Kingdom, from Germany, from Canada, from all over the US. Cards with stories of people who've also lost, lost loved ones, cards with stories of humorous events, cards with sons saying, I haven't talked to my dad in seven years, and because I heard your story, I called him today. Linda, Jean's wife, says, I don't care how long it takes, we will read every single card, even when Jean is gone. And Jean says this, I am confident that this is going to be my last Christmas, but it will be my most memorable. Yes. I mean, to see this kind of outpouring of love and kindness. We have seen the outpouring of love and kindness. It came posted long ago. It came in the form of a little baby. It came to express all joy and wonder, 
love and kindness from heaven above. It is my prayer, beloved, that we will take time to open the present of Jesus in our lives. May he be at the center. May all loving kindness be yours this Christmas. May Jesus be the king of our lives. <laughs>